Good morning, good morning. Let's see if I get my... We're on. Yes, we are. Good morning, church family, online and on campus. Man, I feel like the sermon's already been preached, and we can all just go home, you know. Uh, we, we are in uh, our God Talks uh, series, and the emphasis of the things here back behind me, we've been talking through. The first week, uh, we were looking at uh, how important it is to, to, be, to go deeper with the Lord in terms of our giving. We are stewards and understanding that uh, the gift of our time and our talent and our treasure. Randy was here last week and he brought a tremendous message on evangelism, the challenge of the world that we are in right now. And God has created us for this moment. You were born for this moment. Don't run away from it. Don't look eagerly towards you know, some of the elderly in my congregation when I was young in Phoenix. Uh, would come and request uh, a song, I'll Fly Away. They wanted to sing that every Sunday, you know. And uh, I didn't want them to fly away. I wanted them, <laughs> I wanted them to help us. Uh, the Bible says the older would teach the younger, and uh, I recognized right away that I was way over my head in terms of trying to minister to the great group of people that were there, and I really needed some seasoned family members. Please don't fly away. Stay and uh, help us until the, the God's finished with you, because He created you for this moment, and uh, He alone, we're going to look at today, He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. I'm going to invite you to, to turn in your Bibles to Revelations uh, chapter 5. We're, we're going to be referencing both 4 and 5, but just for the sake of our text, uh, Revelations chapter 5, beginning at uh, verse 11, and we're going to read 11 through 14. So when you find your place there, please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning together. If you're at home, we invite you to stand too for the reading of God's Word. Revelations chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, in a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, with all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb to be to be praise and honor, glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we are celebrating today in the lives of those who have been totally transformed. And now we want to invite uh, each member of our body here to go deeper in worship. And Father, we thank you for gathering us together today. The significance of this moment will only be revealed in eternity. But we bless your name and thank you for what you've already done and what you're doing in these moments. And we ask that you would speak to our hearts through your precious Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you're seated. In the last four songs in Revelation um, 
chapters 4 and, and 5, there, there's a great multitude in heaven that worships and praises the Lamb of Jesus Christ and God the Father. I hope to help you better understand the significance of deepening worship and of inviting God's presence into your life. I want to take a quick look at these um, beings that are present in what we just read a moment ago and give a brief explanation. One of the first we run across is the four living creatures. They represent the cherubim, which are a special order of angels that are continually worshiping God. We see them, we see them in, in numerous places in Scripture. We see them in Isaiah. And uh, it is said of them that they have uh, three wings. With two, they cover their face. With uh, two, they, they cover their body. With two, they cover their feet. And they're all the time, with two, they're flying. I'm sorry, the, the two in the middle are they're flying. They cover their face. They cover their feet. And uh, they are flying around the throne of God proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, you know, in, in our thinking right now, you think, man, that could be uh, a bummer job. Because <laughs> you, got, you got one lyric, you know, you're flying around the throne, holy, 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 you know, and, uh, you know, maybe you're going to get tired, right? And, and what I want you to understand about these creatures in the close proximity with God, and if you think about a facet of a diamond... And you're looking at that diamond, and uh, for maybe for those of you who have ever had an opportunity to have a close inspection of a diamond, maybe some of the guys before they gave their engagement ring, maybe some of the girls after they received it, you know, <laughs> did the close inspection. And as you, as you look at the different facets in that diamond, a new beauty is revealed, a color, a splendor, you know, is revealed in that. And what we have here in these four living creatures standing in proximity to God, which are saying, you know, they, they, they saw an aspect of God's mercy and they're flying around going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And all of a sudden they see a facet of God's grace, of God's justice, of God's uh, love. And, and, and it, it causes them all over again to break out in holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so, no, it's not a boring job. It is one of wonder and splendor. And they will never, just as we can never exhaust the Scriptures, they will never exhaust the majesty of the one with whom they fly around. And then the elders are there, and they represent uh, all believers throughout history. Uh, 24, uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. And it says uh, something interesting the language here that we just read, 10,000 times 10,000, in uh, the Old King James Version, it reads myriads, which was the highest number that the Greeks had in their language. It was an ex inexhaustible number to them. They couldn't go beyond that. That was it. You get to myriads and you're done. You can't count anymore. And uh, that, that kind of uh, helps us understand the many who are around the throne, the myriads, ten thousands upon ten thousands, that, that are bowing down and worshiping the Lord. And then it says beyond that, uh, another group breaks out, a great multitude in Revelations uh, 7 and 9, uh, tells us a little bit more about this. Believers in heaven uh, are described as a, as a great multitude that no one can count their number. And the multitude is there for one purpose, and that one purpose is to worship God. Worship 
is not about them. And it's, it's, it's in the moment of the presence of the Lord that, that it is all revealed to all of us that worship has little to nothing to do with us. It has to do with understanding the worthiness of our God, honoring Christ. And all true worship is focused on God. If it ever gets otherwise, it's not really worship. And I don't know about you, but when I read passages like this, it's problematic to me that I can visualize this in heaven but struggle to find it on earth. The place where God's people are so craving the presence of God. We came through a season as a church where uh, this was revisited for me in a beautiful way. The fasting season, the convocation, I really did see in your eyes and in your hearts the longing for Jesus and His presence. And the true worship that comes out of that. It's just majestic. It's unbelievable. A recent study, though, found in our world that 43% of millennials stated that either they don't care, know or they don't care or they don't believe in God or that He exists. But among that group, 16% said they believe that only those that die uh, with a, a, a relationship with God, that they've confessed their sins and accepted Jesus as Savior, will go to heaven. And yet 57% of millennials still call themselves Christians. But only 16% believe that they must repent of their sins, ask Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of their life. What we have today, not just in that little captured picture of, of a survey among millennials, but what we have in our world today in general, is we have inward and horizontal worship going on. Worship has been turned inward, inspired by culture that defines itself in varying degrees of victimization. And listen, this, this, we, we pick on the millennials, but this is nothing new. We have been, I, I've watched this from a young child, we've always been enamored by being a victim. We've always been caught up in ourselves. It has always been about pride that has caused the great fall in sin and, and uh, looking inwardly and why don't I get, and it all started with Satan's rebellion and, and he said, look, I will ascend to the Most High. I'm tired of these cherubs uh, surrounding the throne of God and declaring His great majesty throughout all the heavens. I want some of it. And so worship was turned inward. Worship was turned horizontal in the sense that we are allowing our emotions and devotions to be stirred by those with whom we agree, and it becomes horizontal. He's saying what I think I, I, I want to believe and what I want to hear. She's saying what I think I want to believe and what I want to hear. And our worship turns horizontal in the sense we're going to buy their books, we're going to listen to their podcast, we're going to share it with social media. This is the voice that I'm listening to, and you should listen to it too. We live to be inspired by clever lyrics, talented vocals, special effects and lighting, and inspirational speakers. But we've lost the wonder and the awe, the rapture of seeking God with all of our hearts and finding Him seated in His majesty as a ruler enthroned over the universe. What I think has happened is that we have lost our desperation for His presence. And wherever God's people lose their desperation for His presence, He invites them to experience life without Him. 
and calamity and difficulties and challenges come. And Israel often was carried off into bondage. And Christianity uh, in, in America begins to, to, to be the problem in the eyes of some rather than the solution. Why? Not because the world lost its desperation, but because the church that calls itself the church of Jesus Christ has lost their desperation for his presence. The world will get worse and worse. The Bible tells us this. Persecution will be increasing more and more year over year. And the question that we must answer is, our worship vertical enough to sustain our faith? Is our worship vertical enough to sustain us through to the very end? We're all here till he calls us home. I don't want any of you flying away early. I want everybody here and captivated by the moment and the call of God upon your life, exercising and doing what God calls you to do, being a member of the body of Christ. But I have to ask you this morning, is your worship vertical enough to sustain you and your faith through difficult trials and persecution that we're facing right now? If not, we may be the generation that fulfills Isaiah 29 and 13. Where it was said, and the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. We're more afraid of what might happen to us if we serve him with all of our hearts than we are what might happen if we don't serve him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. In the opening of Revelation chapter 4, God invites John, the writer of, of Revelations, we call the Revelator, they, they, God invites John in, in chapter 4 to, to come up, in the, in the King James Version, come up hither, come up and stand up here and see things differently. He invites him to vertical worship, to get a new perspective on what worship really is. And the passage we read this morning is the climax of John's experiment, experience in uh, the ultimate worship environment, the, the, the culmination or the conclusion of, uh, of, of, of his uh, experience of, of this worship environment that is vertical. When the fifth chapter of Revelations opens, the revelator John's eye is captured by a scroll in the right hand uh, of, of the one that is seated on the throne. He notices what we notice and see as the scriptures unfold that there is, is significance to this, this document. It is a legal document of type that is uh, a, a, in, in one way or another a title deed to the earth and, and that it is, it, it is uh, so important and so vital that this document be opened up and yet there are seven seals that seal it. A mighty angel steps forward as John is watching and he's captivated by, will God's purpose and plan be unfolded for the world? Will all of redemption be laid out for the world? And he's captivated in this moment as he's watching and an angel steps forward and makes a great announcement. And he, he challenges and said, who is found worthy to, to unseal this scroll? And this challenge that the angel is giving is, is to entire creation. It isn't just to those that are within the proximity of the hearing, uh, but it is a calling to all of creation, everything that is. 
Who is found worthy? Step up and begin to break these seals and open this scroll that is so vital to mankind and planet Earth. Someone must be found in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, worthy to open the scroll, or history will, not un- with, will unfold without purpose, without direction, without hope. To be worthy to open the scroll is to, is to be worthy to, uh, of mediating the, the contents to the world. And so though there are those who might thought to step forward, they measure themselves in light of what it means to step forward and to begin to open these seals. And they find themselves unworthy. And a quiet falls over heaven in this moment. As the angel makes this great announcement, as every eye is fixed on the scroll and no one is stepping forward. You see, this one who can open the scroll is the one who will be the instrument through whom the purposes of God inscribed on the scroll will come to be. And there is no person, no creature in God's creation in this moment that's found worthy to open it. And God's purposes tragically will remain sealed and therefore never enacted. And given the futility of the search, tears are the appropriate response. And John, the revelator, begins to weep. Unless the seals are broken and the scroll of God's purpose is unrolled, the divine redemptive plan cannot take place. And John finds himself weeping that no one is found worthy to loosen the seals on this great scroll. The Revelator's tears in harmony, I think, with what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8, the groanings of creation that cry out for a Redeemer and a Savior. God, save us. God, give us purpose. God, give us eternal hope. It is the groanings of all eternity and all mankind that cry out to God in this moment. If no one is found worthy of these scrolls, their redemptive purposes will not happen. The things will never be set right. In verse 5, the voice of one of the elders interrupts the revelator's tears. And the elder declares that there is one that is found worthy. And the worthy one is the Lamb of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He's the only one that can open the scrolls and bring about God's will and divine purpose. This statement, which merges two familiar messianic images that are connected for us both in Genesis and in Isaiah, when Jacob blessed his sons on his deathbed, he compared Judah to a lion. Judah is strong and powerful tribe destined to rule, he declared in Genesis chapter 49, 8 through 10. The root of David is is likely drawn from the familiar hopes of Isaiah chapter 11. That root would emerge from the stump of Jesse and give new life to Israel. And what the revelator heard from the voice of the elder was a lion is coming. A lion is coming that's worthy and he's going to loosen the seals. But when he turns to look at the lion... He instilled saw the lamb. 
And not only a lamb, but a lamb bearing the As the, the revelation moves forward, the lion is not temporarily in place of uh, the lion is not temporary, you know, for the lamb, but uh, eternally it is the lamb. And in the final chapters of the book, when New Jerusalem descends from heaven, it is still and forever the lamb that serves as the light in the new creation city. I'm not sure that. Any of us that are present today online or here on campus can really get our imaginations or our minds around and believe or be able to conceive that the vulnerability of a lamb can be the source of our victory. Conquest always goes to the strong in our world. It is always, always, always the mighty who rise up and win. In the end. But here is the inverted nature of Christ's kingdom. The lion lamb imagery is the flipping of our imaginations. The revelator is calling saints to believe that self giving love is the center of God's redemptive work and it is the source of his and now our victory. They will know you. By your love. In the Revelator's description of the worship in the throne room, perhaps some of the roots of early Christology are also revealed here in the text. The Lamb not only serves God, but the Lamb is also worshiped with God or even as God. The instruments played in the worship of God in chapter 4 are now played. For the Lamb in chapter 5. The adoration paid to the one on the throne by the church is now extended also to the Lamb. The prayers of the saints that have filled the throne room that God has collected. What a mystery. And every tear you've ever shed, every prayer you've ever said, God has collected them in His throne room and saved them. And He spills them out night and day before the throne to hear your voice your cry, your tenderness. The prayers of the saints fill the throne room with the aroma of the praise now extended also to the Lamb. These two great chapters, 4 and 5, end with the 
three hymns to the Lamb. The first one is, is recorded there in verse 9, and it's called A New Song. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God's persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. I cannot wait to hear that song sung and participate in that vocal harmonies breaking out in heaven. And then the living creatures and the elders prostrate themselves and sing about the worthiness of the Lamb to open the scroll. And what the most remarkable uh, about the first song is the primary focus is on Christ's work of the calling into existence of a community of faithful servants from every tribe, from every language, from every people, from every nation. And as the great second hymn begins, the choir has grown from the elders and the creatures to the whole angelic host of heaven, joined by those still living on the earth. They encircle the throne of the living creatures and elders, and here's what they sing. In a loud voice they're saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then the third great hymn. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. I'm closing, inviting our worship team to come. We have some bookmarks that we want to hand out to you today. And it is a call for us to go deeper in worship. On one side, it's uh, all English there about actions of worship. Now, this is not comprehensive, but certainly tackles the majority of things that we would be involved in in terms of actions of worship. Singing. Uh, I sat behind uh, when I was, my dad was pastoring and we were in a small church in Clifton, Arizona, mining town. I sat every week behind this couple that they could not, if you put a tune in a bucket, they couldn't carry it. It was so, but they sang their lungs out and they loved Jesus and they were wonderful people, really. Very bright and brilliant people. He led our Bible quiz team and uh, the, I had posted a picture, I think it was yesterday, uh, one I found on social media. It's our Bible quiz team that went to nationals from, from back then. They sang with all their heart. So you don't have to have, you don't have to be gifted to do this, right? You can sing. To the Lord, uh, playing instruments, lifting our hands, clapping, shouting, dancing, bowing, standing, giving, serving. On the opposite side, you see the uh, Hebrew word for uh, these actions of worship, and they're broken down a little bit further. And I want to invite you to, to, to have that for your, your Bible. Have we passed those out? Does everybody have one, or do, can we do that now? 
Nate's going to grab them here. He'll bring them in and we can get our rushers to pass them out. And so what I, what I wanted to do, the challenge that I wanted to give today is that in a moment we're going to stand and worship team is going to come. And the challenge is that you would say to yourself, how can I go deeper in my actions of worship as unto the Lord? And, uh, you know, we all have varying levels of comfortability with various kinds of things. And so God does challenge our comfort zones, right? <laughs> and so this may challenge your comfort zone. You might say, hey, I'm an expert right now at standing. Uh, it took me a long time, but when pastor says stand, I can do it. I'm okay with that. You know, I feel like that's cool. And we can stand for the reading of God's word. I can stand when we worship uh, the Lord, and I'm good with that. So what, how about the next level? Can you clap? You know? Uh, can you sing? What's, what's uh, pressing the limits for you? He would say, he is worthy. The lion of the tribe of Judah who became the lamb and bore in his body the fresh marks of slaughter, walking towards the scroll to break every seal because he alone was worthy to do so. Could have been wrapped up forever for all of eternity and never opened except he volunteered. God came for you that those seals might be broken, that that scroll might be unrolled, the purposes for all mankind might be revealed, and that the claim on the earth you know, the enemy has, has, has declared himself the owner. He calls himself the prince, the power of the air. He, he's declared that, you know, he's got airspace, you know. And uh, then he's declared himself, you know, the, the ruler of the earth. And he's usurped his authority. And he believes that he has the right to be here. He's being evicted by the church of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Every time you invade the darkness, you're evicting the work of the enemy on planet Earth. Every time you lift up and praise God, you're opening a portal in the heavenlies that Michael and the archangel, they're coming just like they did for Daniel. We withstood for 21 days. We were battling and it was epic. And your prayers, your perseverance in prayers for 21 days, we broke through. Here's the answer. God is calling us to deepen our worship. So as they are bringing this worship song and leading us in it, I want to invite you to stand with me and to say, Lord, I'm going a little deeper today. <laughs> I'm going to go deeper in worship because you're worthy and there's none that's worthy like you. I really don't care what my neighbor thinks on my right or my left. I'm going to take steps deeper in worship because you alone are worthy. Let's lift him up and praise him this morning. 